This is my This is my comeback story. This is Trey Lewis with Good Landing Recovery, and you're listening to the Comeback. Hey, Danielle. Hey, Trey. How are you? Pretty good. How are you? Good. 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 If I were to give a title to today's podcast, I would call it "Addiction and the Church." Now, let me say something that in no way or no means that I ever want to put the church in a in a light that would have somebody scared of it or not wanting to go to church. But Jesus is clear whenever he says that we are to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves, and that we want to be innocent and pure and to go and to be blameless, but at the same time, we we don't sacrifice wisdom on the altar of innocence or on the pursuit of of innocence. And I think that, you know, as we get into to Daniel's story today, that we are going to um, understand that, you know, once again, that there is no place that is safe from addiction. And, and, and a lot of us know that, and we know that addiction will transcend any boundary, whether it is the poorest family or the richest family, to a school setting, to a business setting, and even and even a church setting, um, and and a lot of us as as parents that uh, w- we have to be willing to to make situations uncomfortable, and not to be so trusting to think that everybody that's a part of the church is filled with the Holy Spirit and are living a life of of purity to make sure that our kids are safe and to make sure that you know the environment is there so that people really can grow in God and and us that have been called to whether it is to parent or to be leaders that we have to be really really comfortable at making situations uncomfortable because we live in a world where I don't want to be to sound so pessimistic but there really is like not not a safe place I mean, you just every time the you know the next headline comes out, you're just thinking, "I didn't think that it could get any crazier. I didn't think that it could get any weirder. I didn't think that the one thing that I thought was off limits and safe, you know, is now a a potential threat." And so, um, you know, with that comes a great responsibility to all of us that lead. And I think that your story is is just going to. You know, it's really going to demonstrate that, but also God's redemption and His ability to be able to make something so beautiful out of you know, no, no matter how bad the story is. Um, Danielle and I have known each other for quite some time now, yeah. and um, she is she works at Good Landing. She is also a friend of mine and loves the Lord and just an incredible person. And she has an incredible story. Danielle, we share with us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I was first introduced to um, addiction when I was seven years old. Um, found out that my mom was suffering with an opiate addiction. What I did not know for a long time is that there was a some extensive trauma that she had walked through and, and never was able to deal with it. And so for many years, I saw my mom battle with um, trying to get clean, um, having the courage to open up when she was struggling my, my parents are actually pastors, and so we were very involved in the church. I think I was at the church more than my house, slept many nights on Sunday nights in the pews when church was going on, um, but it was very tough for my mom as a pastor's wife um, to be on stage and to be able to encourage um, church people and, and not feel like she was going to be judged if she opened up about her own struggles. It was really hard for her to help other people through theirs and, and feel like they're going to judge her. Yeah. And that's the case, too. And just we can yeah. drill right there. I mean, I think with church people in general, 
you know, you, you, you live in a glass house, you know, and, but there's also this, this appearance of you can't have any struggles. And if you're up there preaching and you're teaching and you're in leadership, then, then you're perfect. And, and, and oftentimes, I mean, especially whenever you find yourself in, you know, certain organizations where there, there's not really a safe place. Mm -hmm. There's also oftentimes a stigma to go and get counseling. Like, you know, why are you not spiritual enough? Why can't you just go to the altar on Sunday and have them lay hands on you and pray the thing away? When in reality, there, there needs to be outlets, especially for people who are in the spotlight of saying, man, where, where, yeah. And, and maybe you don't get up there on a Sunday morning and, you know, and air out all of the things that are going on in your life. But I would just say to people who are listening today that are in leadership, I mean, find somewhere safe where you can walk stuff out. But I'm just glad you made that point. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, And for me, as I got older, it was, it was difficult for me to see my mom hurting. Um, I want, um, I wanted to fix it. Um, I wanted to fix her pain. Um, but I realized that she felt like the safest way to deal with that within the church was to, to put on a mask, um, to be happy at the church, and then to fall apart back at home. Um, and it was really hard for me to see that. And when I got into my teens, kind of n- no blame to her, um, but just started dealing with a lot of my insecurities um, in an unhealthy way and started partying. Um, but actually partying with her church kids, I guess that's what PKs <laughs> try to do sometimes, and was introduced to um, methamphetamine at, um, at a youth leader's house. And um, no blame to her at, um, at all either, but just thought I found something that was going to make me feel good enough. Um, I had seen that my mom tried to make herself feel good enough, um, with the substance, and I think that I, I took on that and um, started using methamphetamine from time to time, but drinking and just a lot of substances, and but also was involved in the church myself. So started wearing that same mask, was at church on Sunday mornings, leading worship, um, involved in youth group with many, many masks on, um, faking a smile, got to the point where I didn't think that I was good enough to be on stage, talented enough to be on stage, unless I was high. Um, I would flip out (laughs) if I was not able to get high before I got on stage, and that is terrible now. Like, I feel horrible for that, but it was the reality. Um, I'd kind of seen that laid out in front of me, um, that almost worth was in some man-made substance. And, and not in God. And I would be on stage and, and tell people that it was from God, but in reality, I was getting high. And that's where mine was coming from. So it got to the point where, where my, de- my depression and anxiety just was crippling. And thought I was going to die. Like, I didn't care if I lived um, at all. But wasn't brave enough to, to say that. And so I, co- I connected with um, a, f- a friend on Facebook, and we had no mutual friends, and yet it was in my People You May Know on Facebook, and it was a lady named MJ Nixon. And she, I added her, and 
actually friend requested her and unfriended her multiple times, um, but then ended up reaching out. We spoke. Um, she's from this area. She found out about my, my substance issue and connected me with, with Good Landing. First thought she was crazy, like, I don't need treatment, like, I'm fine. I was prideful. Um, and then <laughs> she, she actually, at one point, uh, called, so she came to Florida. She came to Florida to visit and saw in person, like, how bad I was. I was, like, 100 pounds, soaking wet. Um, just couldn't, you know, hadn't slept in days. Didn't think I was that bad, you know, how, you know. I was just yeah. like, I'm fine. It's just been four days of no sleep, but I was depressed and um, ran. Um, so I hung out with her for about a day, and then when I realized she wanted to help me, I was out of there. I did. Um, I wasn't used to that. She was someone who was within the church that was healthy and wanted to love me correctly, and I hadn't seen that a lot. Um, so I, I didn't want I didn't want that, and she actually called Billy Humphreys on the phone and had him pray for me. Didn't know who this Billy Humphreys was, um, but he prayed for me. Um, she later told me who he was, and then I dipped out of there. I didn't see her. She she flew back to Georgia, and I thought she was never going to talk to me again, um, which at the time I thought I was okay with. But she kept reaching out to me checking on me, which was also something very new to me because it was someone that I had disrespected um, due to my addiction and, and did not treat her correctly, and she still was willing to, to reach out to me and love me and point me to good landing. And then Trey and I talked on the phone, pretty sure, and I jumped on a plane. It was, there was about a two-week window um, in between that where – my life just got way worse, and I, I thank God for that now. Wow. And ended up coming to Good Landing in July 11th, actually, of 2019. And it was a huge roller coaster for me. I was entitled and um, took, made everything a joke. Like, everything was a joke to me. Um, I wanted to be accepted by everybody, and that was at the expense of my recovery. Um, anyone who would sign off on me doing something crazy, I, I was all for it just because I wanted that acceptance. Um, when all of the great things that I needed to, to heal from past trauma, to heal from anything was presented to me and I didn't take it. Um, but Trey was very patient with me. <laughs> Charlie was patient with me. Everyone was patient with me, but I ended up leaving Good Landing in November um, of 2019. And it was about six months where I just went full force. Lied and told people I was great, um, doing great, but I had just fell back into addiction and was too prideful to admit that I had. Um, so April of 25th of 2020, I remember reaching out to you and saying something on, on the lines of, I'm struggling. And you said something, I think you said, do you want to come home? Or something like that. And that was amazing to me because I was so afraid because I had made a fool of myself. I really had. And I expected to be um, just looked down on because of all that. And had a lot of shame, had a lot of guilt, was just really, really depressed. But just 
knew that if God wanted to do something with my life, like it had to start with me being obedient and, and getting help again, lowering my head, taking the low road, and like just coming back here. Came back here, met with you, and you welcomed me back home. And I knew when I went through the program, I was going to have to do everything opposite than I did the first time. It wasn't, this program is amazing, it was, it was me. Um, and I knew that the groups are important. Every, every therapist, you teaching group, Charlie teaching group, like I needed to grab hold of everything that you guys were presenting. Um, I'm a natural runner, and I ran a lot the first time I went to the program. And so I had to learn to talk to God when I wanted to run, to grip the couch at times. Like I know I was at Sherry's apartment, and there would be times where I was uncomfortable and I was used to running in those times. And instead I would literally hold the couch and pray like, God, I can't run because if I run, I'm going to die, and I know this is where I'm supposed to be. And, yeah, so it, it worked. I um, didn't care about pleasing other people going through this program the second time. I, I cared about finding a real relationship with God. Um, I was always caught up in wanting to know my purpose, and I feel like God showed me that my purpose would be revealed to me if I was just obedient in the now um, and, like, every day, like, going to group listening to my house manager, uh, working through past trauma and not being afraid to be honest, um, be honest about my own mistakes and to try to fix relationships that I had broken um, and just to move past that and that God would do what he wanted to in my life. And because of that, I, I feel like he walked me right into my purpose of helping others out of addiction because I was obedient. Um, always thought it was going to be doing worship again or doing something on stage of the church and like I am directly in the center of God's will, like helping others. Everything I went through with my mom, everything I went through just getting hurt by the church um, and my own addiction is, is healed because of my obedience at Good Landing and now he's using it to help those who went through addiction with their mother or, and went through it with themselves who has been hurt in the church. And now I'm able to like be a voice for those people and that's the best purpose God could have ever given me. Wow. It's incredible. Yeah. I just, I remember whenever you came back the second time this time and, you know, the first few days it was, you know, everything's a joke. I remember kind of running, you know, crossing paths with you in the gym and stuff. And it wasn't like anything necessarily like bad, but it was just kind of the, you know, this attitude of, um, you know, the way I cope is just kind of, you know, make, make fun of or be silly or whatever. And then shortly after, I mean, I don't remember the exact day, you, you, you probably do, but there was just this, I just remember this shift of that went from I'm not playing games to, to I'm serious. And, um, you know, and I think something else too, I mean, when, when you grow up in the church, and especially this being a Christian program, like you know how to play the game. Yeah. I mean, you, you know all the, the rhetoric, you know what to say, how to say it, you know, and, and really on the, the first time that... You know, I thought that you were further along, and it doesn't mean that whatever you learned on the on the first time wasn't real. But obviously, a disconnect and you know an application and 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 really you know doing this um, you know kind of when when nobody else was looking that probably didn't happen on the first time and and playing some games there. And it takes what it takes, you know. And I mean, you know, you were talking about me being being gracious and you know not. Because, you know, I think that, you know, I'm so spiritual or whatever, but just because I've been there eight million times myself, and I know what it's like to, you know, to just, 
you know, find, you know, your face, you know, covered in the disaster that, you know, that, that, that I've made and then have to come back to these places. And I, you know, I think there's something admirable about that because, you know, the deal is, is that, you know, there's 10,000 other treatment centers that you could have gone to and just would have been like, you know what, you know, good landing was a season, appreciate you, but, you know, I don't want to go back there you know, where, where in, it's not even so much that, that you failed or that you just weren't ready on the first time, but you did come back and you walked it out. And then watching you go into a staff position. And, and you know, the thing is, I feel like we're, we're similar in this, is that, you know, I, it, it takes me a while before I get comfortable. <laughs> I was thinking about, like, even whenever, you know, whenever the whole COVID thing happened, you know, I was so you know, unsure of, yeah, do I call it COVID-19? Do I call it coronavirus? Do I not even say it? You know, just, it's stupid stuff like that, you know, that just takes me a while before I'll get comfortable in something. But I've watched you, you know, even whenever you, you know, started, you know, helping out with some of the administrative work around here that you wavered. And then all of a sudden I look up and then you're just killing it. Like you've just taken over the department and you're doing so, you know, so, so incredible and just how you'll come in and own something and, and, and give it your all, you know, your faithful, consistent, but, um, something I really want to kind of, kind of circle back to is, you know, really from my intro and then also from, from part of your story, you know, is that you get introduced to methamphetamines by somebody working in the church. How, how old were you? I was 16. You're 16 years old. Mm-hmm. And this is a 35 ish year old female youth worker yes i mean like can we just talk about that for a second yeah well I mean, what was that like so i considered her a mentor at that time um probably didn't use that word i was 16 um, but she was in the church and, and one of our youth leaders and um we were in she our, like support staff or was she like the key leader she was support staff yeah um but to a 16 year old they're all oh yeah you know important and so she oh, yeah. started inviting the youth over to her house on Friday nights um, for get-togethers. It was supposed to be, I mean, I would think parents would think that would be a safe environment for your 16-year-old to go on a Friday night instead of a friend's house to a party. Sure. So there was no other parents there, um, and we started doing that a lot, going there on Friday nights, and it quickly became an actual party, like every weekend, um, sometimes weeknights, um, my parents really didn't question at first where I was going because they knew the lady, knew she was a youth leader, trusted her. Was this at your parents' church? Yes. Yep. Wow. Mm-hmm. And she started wanting to be our friend, um, be involved in the get-togethers, uh, buy alcohol for for us and didn't start off this way no it didn't start off the way it started with just kind of just hanging a safe environment to go to and on a friday night when others were going to parties and then it just quickly spiraled to worse than those than the parties that i'm not allowed to go to at that age mm-hmm. um not exactly sure how she um she have like a history doing dope or something or she like she get like delivered out of that at she some started, point she just started hanging with um, guys in like their twenties and stuff behind her husband's back. Um, and I oh, see so she was married. Yeah, she was married, had three ch- kids, was a, a school teacher in town, a small town in uh, Alabama we were in. And, um, yeah, she just, she got pregnant at a young age and never 
experienced that according to her, according to her (laughs) and decided to experience it with the youth group. Yeah. And I mean, it became much worse for her in the end. She spent four to five years in in prison. Um, and I knew about that for a long time. I knew what she was doing for a long time, but again, at 16, 17, I shouldn't have to, to tell on my youth leader. Yeah. Um, Such a hard spot for, for, you know, 16 year old. Yeah. So that's how that happened. Yeah. You know, it's interesting too. And, and, um, I, I just, it's just so important, you know, like, you know, hearing from the perspective of a dad, you know, also hearing from a perspective of somebody that, you know, has done all of the, the crazy stuff that, you know, and, you know, I've done all the hard drugs and everything, you know, but, but navigating of where, you know, you just think, okay, this is somebody that we've vetted. They're a school teacher. They're already trained, you know, probably has an advanced degree, you know, is, is like, that's what they do for a living. And you're thinking, oh my gosh, this, and they're a part of the church. I mean, there no, no other way she would have gotten plugged into the youth group. And then it's 16 years old, you know, what you would think would be the super safe place that, you know, like, gosh, you know, my, my daughter, Danielle could be, you know, out at all these parties or whatever, you know, your parents are thinking, you know, that, that, I mean, you're just thinking like you're winning. Like my, my kid is asking to go and hang out with the youth leader while all of other friends are going to get drunk, you know, and then all of a sudden, you know, Boone's farm and, and Natty light, you know, become child's play to the fact that this 35 year old is now introducing you to, to methamphetamines, which would then, you know, really for, you know, about a decade of your life would, would dominate and, and cause all kinds of issues. But the, the church still is an amazing place where, where God redeems and restores in a, in a safe outlet, you know, but we've also got to, got to be careful that whenever we see the signs that, you know, something that, you know, s- seems bizarre that, that, that is, is parents and especially as leaders, even ministry leaders that would be listening to this today too, that if you see something off with your, with your youth director in light of all of the things that we see happening in, in, in the media and whether it be youth pastors that compromise or whatever it might be, that, that we've got to be willing to go in there and say, Hey, that this, there might not be anything going on, but whatever this is right here, like we're going to call it out because, you know, you could, you know, the consequences are, are devastating if, you know, if it, if it is something that's going on. But, um, you know, whenever you think, when you, when you think about your life right now, cause I know probably a lot of parents are, are wondering this stuff is, do you think that anything could have been done differently that would have changed the trajectory where you wouldn't have gotten on meth? I mean, is there anything that, I mean, obviously, I mean, it was a youth pastor that, that brings it to you, but any type of, you know, discipleship or, you know, different things that could have happened that, that maybe could have prevented this course. I just think I was afraid to be open. Um, so I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah. Because I, I put that on me that I was so scared that I was going to be judged. Just like I saw my mom cry so many tears, um, at night at our home, um, knowing that she wanted to be better, but just was so scared of the rejection. And, um, I don't know if it was my fault for, for thinking I was going to be treated the same. Um, 
but I didn't want to find out if I was or not. And so I don't, I don't think anything could have been done differently because I didn't give anybody an opportunity to help me for a long time. Yeah. It's just interesting. I, I had the same question that was asked to me. Um, I, I shared my story pro- probably a week ago now. And, um, you know, and, you know, you look back and, I mean, I think a lot of us probably think about that, you know, could, could there have been anything yeah. that, that would have been done? I, you know, I think, you know, maybe if there would have been, you know, some more discipleship. But then you also, you look at the fact that, that addiction is a, is a real medical issue. I mean, it's a yeah. real disease of a, of a disordered brain chemistry that, you know, when alcohol touches the tongue of someone who is addicted, that it sets this thing in into motion. Um, but then you also believe in in the power of God that can break in. And could God have broken in sooner? Yeah, I guess so. And there were probably different times where I could have latched on to to truth that would have that would have provided a, a way of escape for me. Um, but you know, I know at that particular time in my life, probably as it was for yours. I mean, there's just a part of us that just really liked it, and we were going to let it run run its course because we're not seeing that. You know, this thing's going to end in a treatment center or jail or, you know, whatever the stuff that, you know, that we that we end up getting ourselves into. Anyway, I just appreciate you, um, you know, and then now being on this side, I mean, you've talked about being able to help people and and just the fulfillment that that brings the relationship with the Lord. And, you know, and somebody who's who's just really solid in their recovery. You got any final thoughts? Love that I was able to do this. Um, love that I'm able to help others find their worth in Christ. I think that is so important in having a Christian treatment center that points you to Jesus. Like I wouldn't want to be anywhere else and I don't I wouldn't want any of these people to be anywhere else cuz this is exactly where they find Jesus. I grew up in church, grew up around ministry and I found Jesus at Gulani Recovery. Um and I'm just super thankful for that. Awesome. Let's do it again soon. Yeah, absolutely. All right, cool. Guys, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. It is a privilege and an honor to be able to serve you. If you or someone in your family is struggling with addiction, please give us a call. It's 770-570-7422.